What up, peeps? Welcome into Unscripted and Unprepared, brought to you by Real Screen Magazine. I'm Jimmy Fox, and this episode is my sit-down with Courtney White, president of Butternut, her production company. It's a joint venture with Wheelhouse. I was so excited to have her on. We conducted our first ever draft here on the podcast. I wanted to do a list of the greatest food shows of all time. But rather than just, you know, having a discussion and constructing a top 10 list, I want to do something a little bit more competitive. So me and Courtney, we each draft our own opposing lists of 10 food shows that we feel represent the greatest food shows of all time. It got a little competitive. It got a little snippy. But in the end, we came away friends. And of course, couldn't have thought of somebody better than Courtney to join me uh, for such an exercise. She is the former president of Food Network herself. As you're about to hear, she spent 17 years uh, inside the Scripps and then Discovery Networks, having also been across HETV, having been across Travel Channel. She was the expert in this field. And I was happy I was just allowed to tag along as we talk about food shows. This was like one of those conversations where you come away, you know, engaging with someone and you're like, oh, yeah, I can see why they're so successful. (laughs) Uh, You know, she grew up in New York. Oh, and speaking of which, she had some hot takes, some hot takes on the differences between LA TV executives and New York TV executives. I'm not going to give anything away, but Courtney White was on fire. I appreciate the competitive spirit she brought to the table for this draft of the greatest food shows of all time. This is my sit down with Courtney White. I hope you enjoy it. So Courtney White, this is a different episode than most because typically when I come in uh, at the beginning of a conversation, I don't know beforehand that things are going to eventually turn adversarial, which this is about to because we're going to we're about to essentially draft two opposing lists of the greatest food shows in history. This is the first time that I've come in and told the guest, hey, we're going to be competing. Um, yeah. get, get ready. Cutthroat. It's cutthroat. And I, I couldn't think of anybody better to to do this exercise with because you were like Miss Food Network for many years. Yeah, I still have a pillow somewhere to prove it um, from the network. But yeah, I was um, on and off. Um, you know, we had so many different structures um, at Scripps and then Discovery and then WBD. Um, so I got to bounce around to a lot of different brands, HGTV, Travel Channel, um, food network. And, and I was, I was actually afraid to work at food network because it was the network I loved so much. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, it's my escape. It's like my go-to if I work there, is it going to be a different experience? Cause inevitably it is. Um, so that was my fear for years, but, um, yeah, I, I, um, ran the network for four years and, um, and now, luckily, I'm working with them um, in this new capacity on the supply side. So the love affair has not ended. It's just changed course a bit. But do you recall, like, what was the one nerdy Food Network thing that, like, you couldn't wait to get either access to or person you couldn't wait to meet? So the backstory is, like, after I got out, like, over my fear of working at Food Network, 
I applied to a Food Network job and did not get hired. So I was at HG and I applied to Bob Tushman to go over to Food Network. Um, and we had an interview, like we had a great conversation. And then I remember writing in my like, thank you note to him. Like if I were stranded on a desert island, if I just had my Ina Garden fix, I would be fine. And then I didn't get the job. And I was like, did I come on too strong? Did I like seem like, like a stalker? Um, and my friend Beth Burke got the job instead. So Beth went over to Food Network and one of Beth's shows that she got assigned to her was Barefoot Contessa, Ina's show. And I was like, how do you even give notes on that? Like, it is such like this, like, it is the epitome of perfection. And she's like, you know what my notes are like on that? And I'm like, no. And she's like, this looks so delicious. I need this recipe right now. And so when I got there, um, meeting Ina and, you know, having some tangential um role in that show was like, that was a big moment. And then it just so happened when I went there, Ina had all of these other ideas at this moment. Um, so Cocktails and Tall Tales with Melissa McCarthy that we did over the pandemic. Um, and, you know, she had a lot of different ideas that she wanted to do. So it ended up being an evolution, but like going in and being the stored in some way of Barefoot Contessa was pretty intimidating. But just for reference for for the listeners, how many how many years were you at? Because I mean, you started on the script side, correct? Yeah, yeah, right. And how many years were you in the scripts family? In that, in, and obviously, like families merged eventually yeah. with scripts yeah. and discovery. But how long had you been at scripts, so on and so forth, before you got the Food Network job? And then how long were you at Food Network? So I would say I was there, I was at the company all told 17 years and the last four was at Food Network. So, um, I was 17 years. Yeah. I look what I did when I was doing my research, I like, I have a list of 21 food shows that I'm going to pluck from in, in my research for this. It is really interesting to go back and see how instrumental travel channel was. Yeah. In the history of good food shows. Do you have some travel channel? Uh, well, you could tell me later, but I'm not, tell, I'm not giving away. <laughs> I'm like, but, but if you go back, you, I think people just forget like at what point, what travel channel was because travel channel now to many people is like the paranormal network. Yeah, Bourdain was there and Zimmern and Adam Richmond for sure. So yeah. you were four years of food network and you eventually become the president of the network and streaming food content on what, on the discovery, what digital platforms. Yeah. So we launched, um, when we launched Discovery Plus, all of those titles changed. So it was no longer you were head of a network, you were head of the content category um, for that content that would, you know, some would premiere on streaming, some cable. Um, you know, it was a big experiment at that time launching that streaming service. So yeah, Wait. the titles became very long. And, but then we stopped getting business cards. So it didn't really matter how long your title was. <laughs> was was business cards one of the, uh, one of the cuts? <laughs> I think so. And I didn't get in my new company. I didn't get them. Do you have a business card? I did. I did. I don't think I've used a business card in many, many years. I think yeah. I got them when I first came to all three. I like felt like that was essential. I felt yeah. like when I first started running a production company like that I was responsible for, I I thought I need this. I need this when I yeah, go. Yeah, legitimized you. Right. But yeah, I haven't thought about a business card in forever, then which I kind of Live trend. Remember they got smaller. It was like, oh, I'm environmentally conscious. So let me just make them like half the size. 
I no, was- I didn't. No, I did not know was that. Was yeah, that I remember the- at real screen getting some of those. I, yeah, people had like the rounded corners, you know, they really started, you know, changing, but yeah. I think they can make a comeback now. I think like in this world where, you know, physical media is a, uh, is a rarity and people are now, you know, investing in a uh, vinyl and things of that nature. Like, yeah, true. I, I gotta, I gotta wonder now, like, could you bring back business cards in a way that actually could be, could not be off-putting? Yeah, but maybe you don't need a box of thousands since you're not going out much via Zoom, you know, because of Zoom. Maybe you just get like, you know, 150. As long as we're on the the conversation of a stationary, Courtney, I do firmly still believe in personalized uh, stationary cards for follow-up or thank you cards or whatnot. Like I I do have that. And I, there's certain meetings, like you were talking earlier about like writing a note after an interview. I still have, a, I'm looking at it right now. I have a box of personal stationery. It says my name on it. I only use it for like special occasions when there's like a really important meeting I'm either trying to get or I want to, you know, thank somebody for something. I do the handwritten thing. You'd be shocked the response it gets when people actually receive a handwritten letter at their office or at their home. I totally agree. I still do it too. Um, and I feel like that may be why I first got my job. Like I had a... I had, I interviewed with somebody at ABC and he didn't really have a job opening, but somebody who was a mentor of mine said he really likes uh, and respects good stationery. So I went to like Kate's papery and I bought a box of really nice stationery for $15, which was so much money at that time for me for that. And I wrote a handwritten note a thank you note for the interview. And then he got that note and then called me and set me up for my first PA job right out of college. So I really do like, that's always been in the back of my mind. And it Ooh. does make an impact when I, when I get one, like, you know, I still hang it up. I, I think they're, I think it's meaningful. I actually, I hold on to some of those things. Like I have like yeah. a, I have like a drawer at home where I kind of keep like certain letters and correspondence with certain folks. Uh, all right, give me a little, let's, before we play the game, I want to get a little bit of the backstory. I want to give people a, an executive profile of you. You are now producing, you have a production company that has a, an exclusive deal with Wheelhouse. The production company is called Butternut. I think I told you this when I saw you at a cocktail party at Wheelhouse uh, months ago. I think Butternut is one of the greatest names I've ever heard for a production company. Well, I can't, like, I guess it was my idea to, to, um, to name it that, because it is my company, but it felt like I had no, there was no other choice but to name it that. Um, and the name comes from just the backstory. As we mentioned, I I started in at HGTV in 2005. So um, I had 17 years, great years there. Um, moved to Knoxville, Tennessee for six years at that time where HGTV was at that point headquartered. And my husband and I made a pact. We went to Tennessee. Let's live in a way that we can't in New York because we've been we were born in New York, went to college in New York. And uh, so we bought a farm, started collecting uh, rescue donkeys, horses, our neighbor's chickens. Like we were the suckers from New York who would just take on any sad sack animal. Um, And then once Discovery bought scripts, I was transferred back to New York to run Food Network. And I thought we were going to stay forever in Tennessee. We loved Mm. it. Um, We're not thinking of it as a temporary location. So I needed to have some place that was commuting distance to New York on a farm. 
So made some calls about where I can uh, have a farm next to a train station. And my very first internship had been with Martha Stewart. And my sister was like, you always love Westport, Connecticut. And I was like, that's true. So we found a property in the town next door in Southport, Connecticut, moved up here. And then during the pandemic, we bought uh, a, the flower farm across the street from our neighbor who had retired. Um, it's Connecticut's oldest fresh cut flower farm and it's butternut farm. And the second floor of the barn where I am now was just storage. And um, as my contract was drawing to an end and was talking about renewal, I just had this feeling like I needed to start a lifestyle production company on the second floor of the barn called Butternut and Butternut Farm, the flower business, which is going on downstairs would be my husband's company. And I would have the upstairs and have the media company. Um, so it just, it was like a whole vision that felt like it came to me in like, you know, like a fully formed flash. So it's always, it wasn't like I had like a name brainstorming, like it's always been, it has to be Butternut. It's here on Butternut. It's a lifestyle production company in this lifestyle setting of a flower farm. So there is so much to unpack in, 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 <laughs> in, in what you just laid out. Did you say that he now runs the flower farm? Yeah. So he ended so, up so what? The, leaving his finance job and now he's a, now he's a flower farmer, yeah, which so would what? not happen in Tennessee probably. So, so for the the small portion of us who have never bought a flower farm before, Courtney, what goes into taking over ownership of a flower farm? Yeah. I'm not going to say that we're the most like fiscally responsible people you've ever met. So I just want to caveat that. Just <laughs> um, we, you know, we don't do weddings, we don't do big events. It's just like a little small community farm. Um, so we do really local gatherings. So it's the kind of place that we've got customers who walk their dogs, they pop in, right? they get an arrangement. We have like a, a rush, I would say Saturdays between like four and six when people want to pick up a little gift to go to the dinner party, like stuff like that. How many so staff members do you have? Small. None. There's no staff members? There's no staff members. So you and your husband are doing all the arrangements? Oh, I'm sorry. Aiden, our, um, our very good friend's son, who's um, 16 cuts the the grass on Saturdays. So, okay. Aiden Crino is our staff member. Okay. But who does the actual flower arrangements? So I was doing that before I launched the business, I was able to do some of it. I help out in a pinch, but it's, it's mostly my husband. Have you talked to Sharon Levy about this? Yes. Okay. Because I only say this because one of my vivid memories of when I interviewed Sharon on this podcast, like six years ago was I asked her if you weren't working in entertainment, what would you do for a living? And she literally said, I'd want to run a flower shop. She's legit. Like she's way more skilled than either my husband or me. And I remember like when I was long, we had like a piece of, I forget we were working on together, but we had like a legitimate piece of business. And then we started talking flowers and we had like a deadline and like budgets. Like we had like millions of dollars on the line and we needed to have this conversation and it got completely derailed by flowers. So <laughs> Oh, good for you. Uh, real quick, just because I I never went to film school. I went to some small college people have like mostly never heard of. What was what, the college? It was it's called California Lutheran University. I went 70% because I wanted to keep playing football. Um, and the other 30% was it was close enough to LA for internships in the in the business. What was it like going I, to Tish in the city? Like, did you think 
or want to be a documentarian or a scripted filmmaker one day? What what were the hopes and dreams at that point when you went to Tisch? So when I went in, I remember like freshman year, there was this one class um, and the professor said, how many of you are here because of Martin Scorsese? And like maybe four people stood up and they were like, how many people are here because of George Lucas? And like 98% of the population stood up and they're like, how many are you, are you uh, are here because of um, Steven Spielberg? And I stood up with a few others. So it was mostly George Lucas wannabes. Um, hmm. When I watched E.T., like that's how I decided I wanted to be in film. So I thought I was going to do the narrative um, feature route. But you have to work in all different genres. And once I was introduced to documentary, which I had not really seen them growing, like I'm from New York State, but from Albany upstate, which is much different than the city. And we had one art house movie theater, but it wasn't like now where you can have access to documentaries wherever you are on Netflix. And so, um, you know, seeing Maisel's brothers really, I mean, that's what did it for me. And um, so I graduated with a focus on documentary and my first jobs, um, my first real strings of jobs were at um, HBO working for Sheila Nevin. So that's how I learned development and, um, and then worked for production companies that tended to um, be suppliers to HBO before taking a turn to HGTV. At what point did you decide, I'm, I don't want to stick in documentary. I want to go do the broader ranging lifestyle stuff. How did that moment come to be? I was working with a, for a husband and wife team at a production company called Working Dog and Jeannie Shanahan ended up leaving the company and going to work at Food Network. And after she was there for a bit, uh, HGTV was expanding into New York and hiring there. And she was like, I just think you would love this company. So it wasn't about the content. She was like, the people are so great. The company is so nice. I think you would love the colleagues, the environment. So it was really about being at a place where I liked the people and I liked going to work every day more so than I have to work in the home space. And then I just fell in love with the content. But isn't that interesting? You have a friend who says, hey, I think you would like the culture over here at this network. You haven't been on the network side before. You should try this out. And you're thinking of it as this is a gig, maybe not like a career thing, but this is this is a gig. This is something interesting to try. And then you end up spending 17 years in the family. Like, isn't that crazy to think that just a happenstance suggestion by somebody leads to a 17 year trajectory in the business? It does. And it speaks to a lot of like, you know, she did prioritize environment over everything else. And so there's like a lesson in there. Mm. And there's also this sort of um, little side note like I wasn't the first choice for the job. Rachel Smith was. <laughs> and like, and late Rachel and I were friends and I was like, what do you think about that job? And she's like, oh. she's like, I just don't know. Like, she's like, maybe I would do it for a while, but I can't see myself doing it long-term. And I was like, oh, I feel like I could do it forever. And she said no to the job. And I think she went to like, I think she went to IFC or something. She was like deciding between two. Uh, but if Rachel had taken that job, I don't know. Maybe I'd end up a flower farmer. I did <laughs> sooner than you did. I, I didn't even think about the fact of like, there's this whole New York, I don't want to call it a click, but this whole New York circuit of executives that come up in the business together, the same as it is with us in LA. Courtney, give me, give me the real. 
as someone who's been on the West Coast my whole career, my whole life, for that matter, how do the New York executives view the LA executives? Um, I think, I think you guys feel more like in the entertainment business. You know what I mean? Like, I and I and I feel like you guys, it's a bigger part of your life. So it's like you make the shows and you lit like you all like party together and you have like pools and um and you guys have bigger budgets and i feel like we like you know a lot of us come from like documentary or news and sort of got into this side of the business but we're not like i feel like we're like on the side of like you know soccer sidelines and we probably like bring our own you know lunch of leftovers I feel like we're just, um, I feel like we're just like less shiny, but you guys are so fun. Like, it's great to go over there in the sunshine and, you know, hear about your pool renovations and, um, you know, and your nice cars. <laughs> Is that accurate? <laughs> dying right now. I've, I've never actually opened up this conversation with someone on the East coast before, but I I get it. I get everything you're saying because when you really think about it, LA is a town that is really just synonymous with one industry, really. Whereas yeah. New York is is not necessarily viewed as an entertainment town. It's it's finance, it's marketing, it's advertising, it's a lot of things. So I can understand why one would think, or why that might be the truth, that the LA West Coast executives kind of drink the Kool-Aid of it all a little bit more and kind of like define themselves by the career in the TV or film business. Whereas like these co executives don't necessarily define themselves by their career as much. So I, it, it totally makes sense to me why that would be the point of view. Yeah. Like you have gold shiny memorabilia behind you and I'm wearing Navy blue wool clogs right now. Hey, let's not get into personal attacks now. Okay. Let's not, we don't, <laughs> by the way, the gold memorabilia she's talking about is a WWE championship belt that I got as a gift from somebody on a, on a shoot. It's the Ric Flair. It's the Ric Flair, big gold belt. Um, all right, Courtney, we are about to play a little game that I've never done before. I thought rather than just go through like a top 10 list of the greatest food shows of all time, I thought it would be more fun if we kind of gamified it a little bit. Yeah. Um, we are going to construct you and I two opposing lists of 10. We are going to draft essentially what we each view as the greatest food shows of all time, all right? And here's yeah. the premise for this competition we're about to play. You and I, we have each received tons of money from some very, very rich investors. And we are each going to launch two new food-focused platforms, all right? I, I told you this over email. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna name my network Mealtime, all yeah. one word, Mealtime. You are going to name your network what? Feed. Feed. All right. So we've each received billions of dollars from investors, and we have the ability to essentially choose any shows in the history of food shows to acquire and put on our platform. All right. That is how we are each going to construct our list of 10. Here are some ground rules. All right. Okay. I my pen out. Baking shows are eligible. You do not automatically inherit any spinoffs. So when okay. you draft a show, you do not get all the spinoffs with it. And I, and I honestly think we should have like a no spinoff rule. I think I think the uh, 
the yeah, list that's more fun. Yeah, the list will be more fun and more diverse if we don't have uh, spinoffs. So essentially, any spinoffs are eliminated the second somebody drafts, let's say, a member of the franchise. And lastly, and I, I want to get your thoughts on this because I'm I'm open either way. I have a point of view, but I'm open either way. I think you do not inherit new episodes of the show when you draft one. I think this should be catalog only, right? So if you draft a show and it's currently airing, you are not getting the new episodes. You are only getting catalog of things we draft. Does that make sense? Yes. These are second run library. Yes, that's right. You know, you know, all the jargon. Um, (laughs) Before we enter into this, you were on the inside of Food Network for years. So can you tell me what the philosophy was internally when a piece of talent would be put in front of you? Were there certain shared elements or certain shared DNA that made a Food Network star in your guys' eyes? Yeah, um, for sure. So I would say the first the first um, sort of, I would say, tenant is Food Network audience was so broad and it was stunning. Something like 70% of our audience didn't cook. So there was, I think when a lot of people came in to pitch Food Network or a lot of executives joined Food Network, it was, oh, they they assumed it was going to have a foodie lens and we did not have a foodie lens. So any talent who was um, really only spoke to professionals or people who were um, kind of snobbish about food was was not a fit. So I would say the person had to have a democratic lens about food. It was somebody who was so passionate about food, not a food snob, fun, enthusiastic, with a really clear point of view. But also, it seems like everybody had a sense of warmth. Yeah. Right? Like, I always look at Food Network and HGTV as having very similar yeah. vibes just in terms of comfort television. Yeah. And and I don't, and and, and this, this could be taken the wrong way, but, you know, in the business, we always say, like, as if formulaic is a bad thing, like, when it comes to formats. But HGTV and Food Network shows are some of the most formulaic in, in existence yeah. in some ways, right? Like, the audience always knows exactly kind of where this is headed and what the beats of the formats are. And it it seems like it's 90% the personalities that make these shows and like 10% the format in in some cases. Am I, am I wrong in being the outsider? We've never thought of ourselves as a hit driven network. Um, Mm. And it'll be really interesting in the future as these brands start to migrate their business primarily, which I think is just a matter of time to streaming, which is more of a hit driven um, platform, you know, environment. It was all about the brand first. So it was about the the consistency of experience, like whether you were coming onto the network Sunday night at seven or Thursday at 10, it was that knowing what you were going to get was really key. Um, And yeah, for sure, the talent was the driving force of that. And I've never seen anything like it, the connection between our talent and the audience, because it wasn't just... They came to them for entertainment, but they also came to them for advice of what, how should I buy and how should I revamp my kitchen and what should I make for dinner tonight? So it's, it became deeper and more personal than just a fan. Mm. They really, um, so that warmth and that connection to an audience, I can't think of a show that worked without that 
really deep audience connection. And so I think the warmth was part of that and a prerequisite for that. Okay. You ready to get drafting? Yeah. Uh, all right. I am going to allow you, we're each going to pick 10. We've laid out the ground rules. I'm going to let feed go first. All right. I'm going to let the guests go first and we'll just go back and forth drafting our teams. Again, any food show in the history of television, no spinoffs, baking shows are included, and you just get the catalog. You are not guaranteed new episodes moving forward. It is just the history of shows as we know them on this date, October 16th, 2023, as we are recording this episode. All right. With the first pick in the draft, Team Feed picks what? Great British Baking Show. You son of a... Okay. I know it. Okay. All right. Great British Bake Off. I mean, speaking of warmth, like that is just the warmest, fuzziest, most perfect show. Tell me why you love it. I love the, I love the casting. I love that the stakes are this glass plate and that's it. Um, I love that none of the contestants feel like they're made for TV. Like there's, and, and I I love that they drink tea during the competition. You know, it's like it's intense, but it's not too intense for a cup of tea. It's kind of like golf, you know. It's like right. <laughs> it's intense, but like we can hang out and smoke a cigar, you know, while right. while while we're doing this. I also, how about the fact that it's outside? Yes. You know what I mean? Like, how about the fact that the backdrop is as calming as it gets with like a British countryside kind of garden motif? Right. And it's not just the shiny floor studio swinging jib shot. You know, we've seen a million times. I'm with you. Uh, This was extremely high on my list. I've got I've got stats. I've got background for each of these. Uh, Maybe not all of them because you might surprise me with some. But Great British Bake Off, 14 seasons premiered in 2010. Um, It is abbreviated Bake Off or GBBO by the diehards. Uh, It's a British television baking competition produced by Love Productions in which a group of amateur bakers compete against each other in a series of rounds attempting to impress two judges with their baking skills. I once heard a story. I can't confirm this. This was just hearsay and somebody might call me eventually and be like, hey, you got to delete this. But I was told at one point when, when there was a company, a big media company that was investing or had already invested in Love Productions you know, that investment was going to be earned out and they were going to, the the owners of Love Productions were going to be paid a multiple as you do based on success, right? Based on revenue and earnings, you get paid a multiple when someone invests in your company. Well, I was told that Bake Off became such a massive hit and was making so much money. The company that had invested in Love was worried that the payout that they owed them might bankrupt them because that's how much money Love Productions was making. On that I one show. I believe that. Do you believe it? I totally believe that. I, look, back in the day, look, that's a 2010 show, which we're going to see a trend, by the way. The majority of the shows on my list are shows that launched between like 05 and, and 2010. But like back in that time, yeah, like the multiple people were throwing around and the amount yeah. of money they're making. Yes, I could see that maybe being true. I could see it. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen how many financiers go under that were like, quote unquote, the big bank. I could easily see somebody making a deal like that. And then somebody having a huge giant global hit that makes so much money, they can't actually afford to pay them what they owe them at the end of that deal. 
And yet I love that none of that massive, massive financial success like bleeds into the ethos of that show at all. Like you no. still have like the plastic flag hanging on the tent, you know, it is still like it hasn't become glossy. It has like that homespun um, feel that I think is part of the charm. Okay. I am just highlighting great, uh, great British bake off. It is off the list. You SOB. Right, See, I, I knew, knew I knew I had to come in with a winner. I knew you were going to come. I knew you were going to come in heavy. All right. For my number one choice, I've got to launch this network mealtime. Oh, by the way, does your network have a, have a tagline? Does feed have a tagline, a marketing slogan? Mine does. You ready? Yeah. Mealtime, your favorite time of day. She hates it. She just, she didn't even react to it. She did not even like, not even a <laughs> blink. She could not have been less impressed <laughs> with your favorite time of day. I, I think it's cute. Okay. All right. I'm off to a bad start here. All right. For my first pick for mealtime in the inaugural food draft, I am picking 55 seasons of Chopped. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, it premiered in 2009, again, in that sweet window that I was talking about earlier. It's an American reality-based uh, cooking television game show. Uh, created by Michael Krupat, Dave Knoll, and Linda Leah. And Hosted beyond them, there are probably like 20 people out there who claim to have. Well, I know, but like having spoken to all three of them, there should be a whole book just written about Chopped. The series pits four chefs against each other in three round a three-round contest where they attempt to incorporate unusual combinations of ingredients into dishes that are later evaluated by a panel of three judges all for a chance to win $10,000. When I think of three judge panel shows, Chopped is kind of the prototype. What can you say? It is standalone. I feel like I'm going to launch my network. I feel like standalone may work better in streaming for, for me. Um, I, I don't know how much people are going to want to go back and go watch old, old, old seasons of other art competition shows. The beautiful thing about Chopped is it's kind of like, have I seen this episode before? Maybe I have. I don't know. There's so many episodes. Does it really matter? Um, what can you say? Like Chopped is kind of like one of the most perfectly built formats in the history of all competition shows, not just culinary shows. I totally agree. And the fact that it is standalone and can it, it reach that level of stickiness being standalone and not having that art is just like, it's even, it's kind of, it's hard to even imagine that happening today, but it's really incredible. And I remember seeing a tape of the the original, I guess it was pilot, because I think when it was pitched, you didn't even pitch tape. And it had like a butler and a chihuahua and all of really? that. Those, yeah. It had all of these bells and whistles that was then. It I think the first pilot was thrown out and um, Charles Nordlander was telling me about this because he was in the... Um, at food at the time, okay. but it was like, it is just perfection. And it's just, it's the gift that keeps on going. And um, I remember at HG, just like banging my head against the wall with like, what is our chopped? What is our chopped? You know, we had house hunters, but it was not the same level of, Oh, you know, we, we that full big hour. We need our chopped is I think something that a million executives have said just because of how perfectly constructed this, this format is. Um, all right. So that is my number one pick. Uh, it is back to you for your number two. 
Um, I'm going to go Hell's Kitchen. Okay. Strong. You want to guess how many seasons of Hell's Kitchen? By the way, all of my research could be absolutely wrong. I don't want to get any emails. I'm just going with what was online readily available to me as I prepped for this, people. So if I'm a number or two off on the number of seasons or episode count, forgive me. But do you want to take a guess how many seasons of Hell's so Kitchen? So it launched in 05, right? It did. 2005. This kind of starts the boom. So is there more than one season a year? Is there two? Is it, I'm going to say 25? 22 seasons. Okay. You now have 22 seasons of Hell's Kitchen. Just writing it down. One of one of might be a few appearances by Gordon Ramsay on this list as we as we get into it. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see which way the wind blows. Um, right. One little tidbit. Um, I went kind of shopping at MIP um, for international formats one year. I think it was the first year I was at um, Food Network. And I was, I thought there was going to be a lot more, a lot more formats on the market than there were. My takeaway after that experience was the reason there weren't more food formats is because Gordon Ramsay formats were distributed in all but three countries on the globe, like fully distributed. So it was like 144 countries. And then there were like three little country islands that I didn't even think had like TV service that he wasn't distributed in, but that was it. It was Mm. like so many, because some, so many of these markets food, they just needed a couple food shows. They didn't need a whole food network. Um, So I went there thinking that I was going to like, you know, load up the shopping cart and I came home empty handed because of Gordon Ramsay's success. Not, not surprising. It's amazing. And if you try to go through the whole history of Gordon Ramsay and like who produces which Gordon Ramsay show, it's, it's one of the more confusing, um, kind of like lineages in, in our business. It's like that one, they represent those rights, but that studio works on this show of his. And this is a completely separate production company that does that one. Well, yeah, they're involved in it, but this guy, he does the physical production. It's it's hard to keep up with how many Gordon Ramsay shows and how many I partners. I just give he's Arthur had. Smith all the credit because I worked with him in the past and think he's brilliant. So I just say Sh- Arthur Smith. Shout out to Arthur Smith. Have you read his book? Yes, Reach. I, so have I. Reach. And you know what? It's really good. I've been meaning to write him a handwritten thank you note, telling him so. I'm I've, I've literally been meaning to write him an email about what I took away from the book. I like dog-eared the pages. I underlined passages. Like, it's fantastic. I definitely recommend go go and read to. Arthur Smith's book. Um, okay, is it my turn? It's my turn. So, feed starts off with British British uh, Great British Bake Off and Hell's Kitchen. I have started off with Chopped. Oof. This is not easy now. I know. But I think I'm going to play, I'm going to be a little strategic here. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to take this one off the table now, just by the sheer volume of hours, similar to Chopped. I'm going to take Diners, Drive Ins, and Dives. That would have been my next pick. Really? Yes. Oh, God. That makes me feel so good. Uh, redeemed myself after my awful marketing tagline. Uh, your favorite time of day. Diners, drive-ins, and dives, 45 seasons, premiered in 2007, again, in that magic window. Each episode generally has a unifying theme, burgers, ribs, or seafood, with the host, Guy Fieri, visiting multiple restaurants within a single city to sample the food that corresponds to this theme. One of the longest-running travel logs ever, 
45 seasons, a fixture of the Food Network. What does this show mean to the network? Um, it's it's hard it's hard to imagine a more important show for the network. Not just for the volume, but it's like that audience comes to the show again and again. And they're like the the audience makeup of that show is so broad. Like this defines the democratic widespread or quadrant you for the food. You can watch it for the personality. You can watch it for the locations. Like it's just um, and then it just still repeats like the repeat value of that show. You know, like the event shows, it's tough to, you know, keep those on the schedule. Um, you know, and then during the pandemic, this was one of the first shows that Guy adapted. We the one of the first things we did is we put um Guy's two sons, uh Hunter and Ryder through um producer training, and they shot they end up shooting the at-home version of Triple D. Um, but I mean, it's, you could, you could pick a couple shows to just be like synonymous with Food Network and this would definitely be top, top of the list. Interesting. Speaking of which, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to stir a little controversy, you know, for, for the podcast, you know, Courtney White, your first two picks, not Food Network shows, my first two picks, Food Network shows. I'm just saying like Courtney White. And yeah, and I'm probably like, oh, it's fun to like play outside the sandbox and I'm probably going to, you're probably going to have the more successful returns. Courtney White throwing shade at former employer, dot, 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 question mark, hashtag. And current something. client. <laughs> yeah, right. You're currently in business with them. Um, all right. Just kidding. All right. So I have Chopped and Triple D. By the way, I just learned that's what it's called uh, for those who know. With your third pick for feed, you are going with what? Um, all right. There's a couple different directions here. But given some of the attributes you just talked about, standalone volume, um, talent at the helm, Food Network success story, arguably synonymous with the network, beat Bobby Flay. Oh, it's a good one. It's a good one. I don't have in front of me how many seasons that is. I mean, we would fire up like 50, 50 episodes at a time. <laughs> Jeez. Jeez. I'm going to look this up right now. Uh <laughs> How many seasons? Okay. 33 seasons launched in 2013. Can you uh, describe for the listener what the general format is for Beat Bobby Flay? Yeah. And it's all legit. Like, you know, a lot of people don't feel, don't, you know, think that Bobby has some kind of inside track, but every episode he goes up against a chef who has, you know, a specialty and they compete and the chef makes um their signature dish or you know something in their um kind of sweet spot and bobby challenges them with his version of mac and cheese or chicken pot pie or whatever it is and then there's a blind taste test so it really is legitimate and the um in every standalone episode does bobby reign supreme or does the challenger beat him at the challenger's game um and Bobby wins most of the time, but not all. And he's a really gracious loser. Like he really mm. does appreciate being beaten, but it's amazing that, I mean, these are the best chefs in the 
uh, in the country that could go up against him. And he's maybe making something at the fir- for the first time and experimenting and that he can sort of out, out game them is it's, I mean, I, I've never seen a culinary talent like it. This, this is your first standalone format on is, the, uh, yeah. the slate for your, your yeah. new network. Yes. Be Bobby Flay. Okay. Oof. All right. Now there's, there's a couple competition shows. I haven't done an arcing competition show yet. There's a couple on the board I can live with. So even if you take one of them on the next turn, I can live with you stealing one of these, but there's one I really told myself I wanted to walk away from this draft with. And I'm going to grab it now because you are shrewd and I, I could see you taking this next. I am going to take Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown, 12 Seasons. This is the CNN series yeah. with Anthony Bourdain. 12 Seasons premiered in 2013. In the show, Anthony Bourdain travels the world uncovering lesser known places and exploring their cultures and cuisine. Welcome to the fam, Anthony Bourdain, RIP. You will be on all of our marketing materials for mealtime. Again, this is a standalone format once again. So yeah. I am pairing it with Guy Fieri and Chopped, Parts Unknown. You, I mean, it's such, you, you, you can't go wrong with that pick. Um, it's interesting. Like if, as you're building the schedule, I wouldn't put it on the Chopped or Triple D night. So you, maybe you need a companion on your, you know, in your draft, just if you're thinking about schedule, because it's a, it's a different, like. I was thinking of these just as like digital platforms. Are you think, are we, are we, are, we, are these linear Channels we're launching. I'm Platforms. game for digital. When you when and this is inter- This is like maybe speaking to like the bigger um, conversation of the times. But when you were when you were emphasizing um, volume, my head was going to like more of a like a linear library play. Got it. Either way, those are my three. Number. I four, think that's three. a nice. I think that's a really good round out. I mean, that's like. That's an, that's, um, I want to have a high low prestige offering. Yeah. yeah I want to exactly. have a high low. We have to have some awards bait. All right. Number four for you. Okay. So I don't have a travelogue yet. Mm. Um, my title is dated just by nature of the title, but I'm going for it anyway. $40 a day. Rachel Ray. Now, of all the Rachel Ray content out there, I've got I've got one Rachel Ray thing on my list as well. It's not forty dollars a day. You went with this, so why this? Um, for me, it was that I had this on my in my notes, like this or Triple D. Um, and I just I have a lot of dump and stir shows just because I I'm obsessed with dump and stir shows. So I think thirty minute meals is a great pick. Also, um, but I just I, I I think also when you talked about the warmth of a host, and we talked about the connectivity that the a host needs to have as an audience. This is so stripped down, and it's just Rachel in her LL Bean sweater, <laughs> you know, like calculating a tip, um, like in some like low key restaurant that had like a well-priced lunch and like, it's just so simple. And it just, I don't know, to me, it really speaks to her star power because there's, it was such a phenomenon in its day and it was all about her. 
So just in reverence to all of that, I was excited to pick it. $40 a day. Number four on the feed network list of new shows. Okay. It's number four for me. Like I said, I have yet to have an art competition show. There were a couple out there. Um, and I'm just going to go grab it now. I'm going to take Top Chef, 20 seasons of Top Chef, uh, premiered in 2006. It is the first NBCU uh, show that is represented on any of these lists. We've got yeah. one from Fox, one that is, I guess, technically Netflix with Great British Bake Off, but that is a that is a UK show, right? Yeah, although um, Rutgers doing the American Originals. We have Shout CNN represented, and then we've got a handful of uh, Food Network shows, but Top Chef takes place in a different city every season. The contestants are judged by a panel of professional chefs and other notable notables from the food and wine industry, with one or more contestants eliminated in each episode. Um, and it has had a multitude of spinoffs. Top Chef Masters, Top Chef Just Desserts, Top Chef Junior, Top Chef Amateurs, Chef Family Style, and the Spanish language, uh, Spanish language spinoffs as well. But I am going to get 20 seasons of this as my one art show so far on Mealtime, your favorite time of day. Okay. I think it's a great pick. I mean, what a well-produced show. Like just, you know, it's almost like if if Chopped is like the standalone classic, I do mm. think that um, Top Chef has become like the art, like, clean classic format well it it kind of literally invented the quick fire challenge right like we call we call the first challenge of any like challenge show now the quick fire challenge we just say that as producers like whether it's a food show or not we call it the quick fire challenge it it is it is kind of the the model by which all art shows are uh prototyped um all right we're halfway through the list here with pick number five what are you going with so I kind of feel like my uh, the feed vibe is maybe turning into a little bit like celebra- celebration of nostalgia. And I'm going to go um, Iron Don't Chef. You... Oh, Iron Chef. Okay. You almost scared me with something else that was on my list. You almost scared oh, me. I'm going to get I... real nostalgic if I get, if, if you don't steal some of the, uh, the others. Yeah, no, I don't. Okay. All right. Thank you for the warning. Cause that's what I was afraid of coming into this. Um, Iron Chef America, 13 seasons. Premiered into now. Are you going with the American version? You're going with the original. I'm gonna go with the American. Yes. Okay. 13 seasons premiered in 2005. Food Network one, not the Netflix one. Yes. Yes. 2005. um, Like the original Japanese program, it is a culinary game show. In each episode, a new challenger chef competes against one of the resident Iron Chefs in a one-hour cooking competition based on a secret ingredient or ingredients, and sometimes a theme what do you love about iron chef i love the 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 culinary bar you know i love that this is like top 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 tier competition um most of all and i do think this is a trend that's coming back i love the mythology of it i love that you're stepping into a world which is not reality it all makes sense and it's authentic once you get there but there is this mythology surrounding, you know, the chairman and the whole um, mission that in this case is subtle, 
But I think in this world of like kind of social experiment and what is this world that you're creating that then the rules of engagement are ex an extension of, um, I think about Iron Chef like every day. Uh, is it, this is like your personal, um, how much do you think about the Roman? What was that? The <laughs> Roman empire? That was like, how much men think about the Roman empire for Courtney White? It's how often do you think about Iron Chef America? German, German. I, I like, I feel like this was, and there was like a kitschiness to it. Like, and I love the kitschiness paired with super, super high level chefdom, like just that juxtaposition. Um, and then I love Alton Brown in it. So mm. great call. Great call. Yeah. Can't argue with this. Had it on my list. All right. I'm at number five. I, Courtney, don't, don't expect you to have noticed this, but I do not have any baking on my list. Mm -hmm. And I think it is time. Now, the question is, which way do I go here? There's a lot of baking shows I love. But again, I'm just going to do a volume play here and do something a little different format-wise. I am going to go with, yes, it's only, only nine seasons, but it's 247 episodes. I'm going to go with Cake Boss. Premiered, oh. in, premiered in 2009, the show follows the operations of Carlo's Bake Shop, an Italian-American family-owned business in Hoboken, owned by the operator, Buddy Velastro, and Lisa Velastro, his sister. The show focuses on how they make their edible art cakes and the interpersonal relationships among the various family members and other employees who work at the shop. Yes, 247 episodes. This is a TLC show. And yeah. uh, it just reminds you that TLC wasn't always family members with Food Network and the other scripts networks. And you think about, had it been at the time, does this show even have a home? This premieres in 2009. There's another cake business place show that may get mentioned later, may get drafted, mm -hmm. that premiered three seasons earlier. Yep. And you wonder, I don't know. I don't know enough about when that show was shopped, but I am curious when it did get shopped, did Food Network, I don't know, you might have heard about it, but like, did Food Network want Cake Boss when it got pitched? They think, no, 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 that's not our type of show. The character's a little, not not Food Network. Um, this is a TLC character. But it makes you think about the fact that like, all these networks folding and merging, less shows get made, less characters get discovered. If TLC was part of scripts, Cake Boss maybe never happens, you know? So, so I'm going to take Cake Boss here, our first cake show. And a crap load of episodes, 247 to add to our slate. Was that even on your list? You looked surprised. It 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 wasn't on my list because I think because I'm I'm like I grew up at Food Network. I put that more in like the docu-series boat than than the food boat. So I think I totally respect it. Now I'm like, oh, does no, but like in my mind, that's like a, that's a docu series with a food with a food backdrop. Yeah, not not as food. But do you think it should count? One hundred percent. Okay, you're not opposing the it on the I'm list. Not okay. To it at all. All right, that is my five. And I'm a um, huge Buddy fan, personally, professionally. Okay, on the pick, we're on the back half of our draft now. Pick number six. So I'm going to pick a baking show that I think like I think really changed the game that I respect a ton. Um nailed it. 
Mm. All right. I was wondering when this would get picked. Uh, nailed it. A little background on that. Seven seasons. When I looked this up this morning, I was shocked it's already had seven seasons. Yeah. Because it still to me feels like a relatively new show. Yeah. But it premiered in 2018. Home bakers who have a poor track record in the kitchen seek redemption and cash on this series. In each episode, three contestants try their hand at recreating edible masterpieces. The projects don't always turn out great, but whichever amateur baker comes closest to a successful dessert by the end of the episode, they will take home a whopping $10,000. All right. Why do you have this on your list and why at number six? I think um, maybe it's just like in reverence more than in like the performance of feed that I'm buying. So maybe this is more of an emotional pick, but I think um, it's introduction of humor was so like, so well done. And I just think this is so, this show is so important for food content now because it's bringing so many kids to the table. Mm. So kids are watching it. And then you would hope at least for my business, then they become people who are interested in watching more food shows. Um, so I just love that this is like every episode, like in, in my house, it's on so much. And it's just like every holidays, like every generation can watch the show. Like I love, I, I, I love shows that still target multiple demos. Um, and I just think it, like, this is a show that could just, could have just been like a mess, you know? Yeah. And it's just, it's so well done and it's so smart and it, it doesn't try to be anything it's not. And so um, I think it works within the baking show space, but is completely distinctive and like breaks all the rules in all the right ways. So I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a great show. Great. Great summary. Great summary. It, it is, it is a brilliant show. How many other culinary shows feel like they were born of the internet? Yeah. You know, and this felt and like it was successfully like you've seen so yes. many, it's like, Oh, let's bring the audience over and it never works. But right. this, but, but this really was like a next gen, a show that was born of the social media age series. Right. Yeah. Cause it wasn't just, it wasn't just copying the social part of it. It was, it was being influenced, but then it was its own thing, which yeah. I think is key. Um, all right. Nailed it with your sixth pick. Oh, okay. This is getting difficult now. Five more picks to make. There are still so many shows on my list that I would love to have. And I'm trying to think like, am I thinking with my heart or my head? I know. Like, am I, am I just grabbing my favorites or am I going with what I, I actually think makes like business sense from like a library and episode count perspective? Oof, 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 oof. Man. Okay. This is tough because there's only so many competition shows left. I'm going to want. All right. I think I'm just going to go for the volume play because it's safe. I don't love it, but I'm going to take it because I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to be competitive in the marketplace. Yeah, I okay. I had a marketing, I had a marketing already got fired for that awful tagline. Like I've only been in business for one day. You need a like, marketing budget. That's a good sign. <laughs> okay. With the sixth pick in the draft, Team Mealtime is going to pick Worst Cooks in America, 26 seasons. Premiered in 2010, 
celebrated chefs mentor amateur cooks in an attempt to transform them from rookies to kitchen experts. Kind of a kindred spirit here with Nailed It, you know, just in terms of like, so. yeah. right, the background of, of the casting pool. Uh, it could be anywhere from 12 to 16 contestants or recruits with very poor cooking skills. They're put through a culinary boot camp to earn a cash prize of $25,000 by the end of the season. That's at least on the description I found online. It's 26 seasons. It's humorous. It's easy breezy. It doesn't take itself too seriously, which some culinary shows do. So for many of the same reasons that you liked Nailed It, I am going to take Worst Cooks in America because I do think it's something the entire family uh, can I watch. I think it's a great pick. All right. You're on to pick number seven. All right. So it's the first dump and stir to be named. I'm going back to, like, to me, like the pinnacle of dump and stir shows, Barefoot Contessa, Ina Garden. Okay. All right. Yes, this is this is a big one. This yep. is a big one. And this was one that you were a big fan of before you were ever employed at Food Network, correct? This was one that you already knew of and were hot for? Yeah, like, and, and you know, people ask me, okay, if I'm going to buy, like, one cookbook, Ina Gardens are on my list. I mean, it's so well-researched. Like, just, just the kind of food you want to make, so um, bulletproof, so meticulously tested, and then she just has this warmth and this environment and this life that you want to live out in the Hamptons. So Who for all the I know wannabes out there, myself included, I'm picking Barefoot Contessa. 20, do you want to guess how many seasons? 26. 28. 28. Premiered in 2002. So again, one of the earlier shows to make this list. And just keeps going and going and going. It's like the 60 minutes of culinary shows. Yes. All right. So that was your pick number seven. Let's do a little review real quick with only three picks left for you. Great British Bake Off, Hell's Kitchen, Beat Bobby Flay, $40 a day, Iron Chef USA, Nailed It, Barefoot Contessa. I love this network. It's pretty strong. Feed. Oh my God. I just, heard, I just got a text message. Feed just hired my head of marketing. <laughs> my God. Business moves fast around here. There was a uh, tagline at food that I didn't get approved, but um, I wanted the marketing tagline to be food. You'll die without it. And it didn't get approval, but I thought it like really incited the urgency that we needed, but. I really love that. I really love that. Yeah. But you just wait until the water network launches and they're like, aha. <laughs> Aha, what about us? Okay. All right. With my pick number seven, uh, mealtime so far, we're feeling strong. Yeah. Chopped. Uh, diners, drive-ins, and dives. Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown. Top Chef. Cake Boss. Worst Cooks in America. Oh, man. Okay, I'm just going to do it. Because I don't have him on my network yet, and we want him on the network. We want every famous face in the history of the culinary business on our network. So welcome home, Gordon Ramsay. We are going to take 13 seasons of MasterChef. Yep. Premiered in 2010, the series features amateur and home chefs competing to win the title of MasterChef. The winner of each season wins $250,000 and a MasterChef trophy. 
the first Gordon Ramsay show here at Mealtime, MasterChef. And I'm going to try to I'm I, I'm going to draft on that strategy on the Guy Fieri front, and I'm going to mm. go with Guy's Grocery Games. Oh, is that considered a food show? Yeah. Oh, you're like, yeah, I'm not, I'm, not gonna, <laughs> I'm not entertaining your question. She was still looking down writing as she said that, guys. She was like, uh-huh. Yeah, it was like, that was like me responding to my child when they like ask me something and I'm like deep in thought on something else. Hey, Courtney, Courtney, is that considered a food show? Yeah, just buzz off, kid. <laughs> All right. Grocery games. Yeah, there's cooking in it. In a grocery right. store. I don't know. It's a good show. I liked the first time I saw it when it was called Supermarket Sweep. Love Supermarket Sweep. <laughs> so good. Um, how many seasons do you think Grocery Games? You know, Lauren Roosh, who runs HGTV, was a contestant on Supermarket Sweep. Really? Yeah. No kidding. My mom. Uh, Love connection. My, my mom kissed uh, Richard Dawson when uh, my family was on Family Feud. Oh, my God. My mom, dad, think, and uncles. Yeah. Did you like have like the tape that you were like, oh, yeah. Like holidays. We watched it. We watched it many times growing up. Were uh, they during the season? Do you remember um, that short-lived thing where it was like that Tootsie Roll tree, where it's like if you put, if you took out the Tootsie Roll and like it had like the the mark on the bottom, you won a hundred dollars. No, and so I, I think it was like an an early integration. But I love this is Family Feud. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. Well, this had like a Tootsie Roll. Okay, this is like the Shaquille O'Neal meme online. It's like on NBA Twitter when you know people say like. I apologize. I didn't, I didn't understand your game or whatever it is. It's like the, I didn't respect your game guys, grocery games. Unless I'm reading this wrong and Google has it wrong. This says 33 seasons. Yes. And it launched in 2013. Yes. So three seasons a year for yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Holy shnikes. Yes. 33 seasons of this. Oh my God. Yes. Good pull at number seven on your draft. Well, I, I, I was expecting to get triple D, which I was putting higher. And so it kind of threw me off when you took that so smartly, so early on. Man. So this, God, Yeah. I did not have that in my research. Again, people getting fired at mealtime day one, our research department <laughs> is out on the streets. Um, okay, this is just going to be so one this of those is probably more voluminous than uh, Triple D. Uh, it's an hour versus a half hour, which I don't know if it matters on streaming. Well, yeah, Diner, well, Diners, Drives, and Dives is forty-five seasons. So mm. I think the moral of the story is, guys, doing pretty good. He sure is. Guys, doing pretty great. All right, this is going to fall under the category of I am just going to grab it now, so you don't later. Um, I did. I didn't again like Anthony Bourdain. Parts unknown. I did not want to walk away from this draft without it. From 1963 to 1973, 10 seasons, the French chef, yeah. Julia Child. I got to have it. I have a whole new tagline for my network just based around this. Mealtime from Julia to Ramsey and everyone in between. I love it. That was on my list too. Um, I gotta have this. Um, I was really worried you were you were gonna grab this if I didn't, right? You were gonna in the next couple of picks. I'm guessing you were gonna grab this. Yeah. When you said nostalgia, I didn't think you were gonna put, this on, I, I were gonna put it on your list. I mean, I mean, I grew up with a grandmother that all she watched were the cooking shows. So my my Italian grandmother, um, 
loved Julia Child, but she also loved uh, The Frugal Gourmet, which is a, do you know this? That's on my list. The Frugal Gourmet is on your list? I have fond memories of being at my grandma's house in the Valley here growing up and her watching The Frugal Gourmet. And she would have like all these cookbooks and she'd take notes and she'd like take notes in the margins, the whole thing, the whole thing. Um, Like my love of television, like started at her house and she had a TV guide and I would just go through the TV guide, read up on what was coming out that week. And, and my grandma would like highlight the shows she wanted to watch. Cause that's what you had to do kids. Yeah. Like you needed to literally take notes to remind yourself of what was going to be on. Cause there wasn't even a channel that was a guide at that point. It was all paper and, and got published. Like, I don't know, once a week or something, but anyway, yes, Julia child, the queen of culinary, uh, the woman that made food television what it is the goddess of what stand and stir shows welcome home to me none of these shows would probably exist without her as long as it's on the air like it doesn't have to be on feet as long as it's out there somebody has it i'm happy i would i would rather have it have it but i'm i'm happy that you have julia i'm happy that she has a home well thank you very much all right so three picks left you are on to pick number eight Um, wait, 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 my math is wrong. Hold on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You already nine. have eight. So yeah. this is now pick number nine. Um, Only two more to go. I'm going to go man v. food. God damn it. I was literally just reading man vs. food on my list. As you said that, I'm like, there's no way she's going to take this right now. I fucking love man vs. food. It is one of my That's favorite shows. You go, this is your pick, but let me give some stats and then you tell me yeah, why you please. love it. Man vs. food, 10 seasons. Adam Richman hosted the first four and then Casey Webb took over, premiered in 2008 on travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, in man vs. food, Adam Richman travels across the US to explore the culture and unique big food of one city in each episode. In some episodes, he takes on a food challenge involving very hot and spicy foods or foods in massive quantity, such as a five pound sandwich challenge. He finds places in each city to indulge in his appetite and visit local landmarks. 10 seasons for this travel channel show. Tell me why you love it and then I'll I'll respond. I love that it's an organic format. I love that it's like, um... What's that um what's that movie um with John Candy where they're like at the lake and the, he has to eat like the great outdoors. Yeah, and, and he, he has to eat the uh, the 86er I think. Yeah, exactly. Um so the fact that there really are these restaurants where it's like you get your picture like in the like the back hallway by the bathroom if you like eat something and then making a show out of it which is like travelogue with this payoff um you know, and it's just like everybody in the restaurant rooting. So it just feels like it's a travelogue. It's a format. It has that organic fun. It's like super indulgent, super American, really democratic. Um, I'd love to see a woman in that role today. Mm. Oh, I think it would be like an interesting dynamic. But Great call. Um, I, uh, I just I think it's really well done. By the way, the steak and great outdoors. I had to look this up because. This is the the trivia I pride myself on. I was wrong. It's the 96er. 96. I, knew, I knew the second I said it, I was like, uh, I think it might have been a 96 ounce steak with grizzle and fat that John Candy had to finish at the restaurant in Great Outdoors. But you're right. 
if you know that scene, you pretty much know everything you need to know about man vs. food. Um, this has a near and dear place in my heart, this show, because I discovered it at a time in my career where I had just gotten promoted um, above assistanthood. And I was uh, now running development for my old boss, Ben Silverman, when we first launched Electus. And I don't know how it came to be, but I found myself talking to um, Eric Wattenberg, who represented Matt Sharp. And Matt Sharp's company did Man vs. Food. And when I found out that Sharp Entertainment did Man vs. Food, I was like, oh my God, do you think I could just get like a general meeting with them? Like, I just wanted to meet the producers of Man vs. Food. Some of the things I love about this show, I love the uh, backstory of the fact that it was just a paper format and that Travel Channel was like, okay, well, see if you can cast it. So they didn't even have the host when they sold it. They literally went and did an open cattle call to just find a host that could pull this off with a blend of humor, but also like knowledge, right? And by the way, you have to want to watch them eat. Like it has yeah. to be a human being that on camera is enjoyable to watch eat uh, this like large quantities of food. And Adam Richman was this Yale graduate who was like an actor. He had worked in many kitchens and he comes out for this audition and he nails it. And he was like born to host this show. And then he stopped after a few years because like it wasn't good for his health to keep doing these <laughs> eating challenges from what I understand. But some of the other things I love about the show, the graphics, the graphics in the show are some of the best graphics you'll ever see. They really are now that I think about it. Oh my God. It was, it was such a staple of the show. It was like, it was almost had like almost like a retro old school boxing flyer totally. type of type of motif to the, to the graphics. And at the end of every episode, it was freaking genius. They would stage these faux press conferences. So like at the end of the episode, as the credits are rolling, they pretend as if Adam Richman, after having done his food challenge, they put a microphone in front of him and like a man versus food, like stop and repeat, whatever, like backdrop. And they acted as if he's seated in front of like scores of reporters right. that are asking him questions about like a post-game interview in basketball. I loved every small comedic nuance of the show. Really jealous that you got this. Really jealous. Such a good, such a good and it's one. because of this, we later, I later executive produced this show at Electus called Food Fighters. And it was on two seasons on NBC. Oh, and yeah. from the second we pitched the show, I was like, there's only one guy that can host this show and it's Adam Richman. Well, I mean, physically, you can't do that job forever. So that was your ninth pick. Yeah. Man vs. Food is off the table. Mm. Okay. I'm going to... Do I need another standalone? Right now, I've got three arcing shows and five standalones. You have a great slate. Do I need another arced show or do I just go with another? Mm. Okay. I know what I'm going to do just again. I'm just going to, I'm just going to like what they call in sports. I think they go strength on strength. When you like draft for one position, even though you already have maybe one of the best position groups in the league at that position, we're just going to grow our strength. I'm going to no double zero sports analogy. So I'm going to take your word for it. I am going to, I'm going to double down on Bourdain and I'm going to give Anthony Bourdain, no reservations, eight seasons. This is the travel channel version of Bourdain yep. when he is fresh off of writing kitchen confidential um, and is really still looked at as a chef before he kind of was just looked at as the coolest man ever 
TV yeah. show host, which was more so his role on CNN. So I'm going to take this, the original Anthony Bourdain travel log. I don't know if it's the original, but it's the one that like really broke him on the scene. Um, and I'm going to get eight seasons of this. So we can say we've got the two biggest Bourdain shows in our catalog. And maybe the best written food show of all time. Right. Because he always did his own writing. That's right. Yeah. That's right. All right. So no reservations as my number nine pick. We cornered the market on Bourdain. All right, last pick. All right, so I feel happy with my lineup. So I feel like I've got some latitude to just go totally quirky, niche. I can't imagine this is on your list, but just this is a totally emotional, nostalgic pick. Two fat ladies. (laughs) It was not on my list, but I know people love the show. Like Ready? just a cult, just a cult classic. Like one of those shows where you're not sure how it got made. You're happy it did. This British show that I used to watch as a kid. They used to add tons of butter, ride around in a motorcycle in a sidecar, <laughs> like pop into a monastery and cook a meal there. Um, just showed like there's there's food food shows don't have to just be like one size fits all. Like just a really wacky, fun, eccentric. And I don't even know like if it was a big rating success globally, but I just love this show. Two Fat Ladies, produced by Optimum for BBC Two, four seasons, which by the way, not uncommon for a British show to only go four seasons. Okay, I have, okay. So I'm down to my last pick here. Yep. I've got two ways I can go. There's two shows I love. And I can just tell you because you can't take either of them. So I'm I'm deciding between Kids Baking Championship, mm-hmm. which I love on Food Network. Yeah. I've watched it with my kids. 11 seasons. Yeah. Hosted by Duff Goldman and Valerie Bertinelli. Yep. I could go with Ace of Cakes. 10 seasons of that. Couple it with Cake Boss. But the other one that I'm deciding between is Everyday Italian with Giada De Laurentiis. 15 seasons and my Italian grandmother loved the show first introduced me to Giada I think she has maybe the best teeth in the history of television she does this is a tough one and that's 15 seasons that's a lot a lot and if you're saying everybody in between you know you know you're go you've got like a big powerhouse talent lineup Giada's a huge huge talent she is a huge talent so I can either go with the format that I love in Kids Baking Championship, Ace of Cakes. And get stuff with that too. You know what? I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna. You know, what? I'm gonna do something different. As as long as the Everyday Italian has ran, and I am half Italian, so like I would love to have that. I think I gotta go with my my brain here, because there is one notable figure in the history of these shows I don't have. I'm gonna take 30 minute meals with Rachel Ray, yeah. and I'm gonna get 30 seasons of it. Yeah. It's a lot of episodes premiered in 2001. These were live to tape stand and stir shows in a studio. There's like 400 plus episodes of this show. It's ridiculous. 30 seasons. Criticism of Rachel Ray's show has been levied despite its successes early on. Ray had no formal cooking experience leading to complaints about the appearance of her food. So I'm going to take 30 minute meals, which I think is just as relevant today as it was in 2001. Totally. And her not being a professional chef was part of her 
her charm and her appeal. So I think that's why she really broke out because she was so relatable and still is. So some notable honorable mentions, any yeah. just quick, quick ones you want to name off your, your list that are still on your list that you didn't get to, but you, I mean, frugal gourmet was on my list. I think Giada, I mean, if we had, if we had a dozen picks, Giada would definitely um, be on here. Here's a controversial question. Does the bear count? Oh, we didn't talk. We never said unscripted, did we? Um, I think it was just assumed uh, yeah. because we're an unscripted podcast. It's too late to say, but I, I completely understand why you would want the bear. Um, my God, we should all be so lucky to have the bear represented on our network. By the way, so we're we're redoing um, like wallpaper in our house. And I take a screenshot from a scene in the bear where they're in the bathroom at the bear's new, the, the new restaurant. Yeah. Um, in this yeah, past no. season. Oh. In season two, it's like a peacock. When Maddie Matheson's getting all dressed yes. up. Yes. yes, when like they're doing the tie thing, the yeah. tie it's scene. It's a sweet scene. And it is. And it's like a peacock kind of bluish. I love that wallpaper. I know exactly what you're talking about. How'd you track find... it down? You're going to love this, right? Yes. I look up who the production designer is of the show. I find his website. I email the actual production designer of the bear and I ask him, can I find out what wallpaper this is? I'm like, incredible series, like amazing. I'm sorry to bother you with something so trivial. I just want to know where I can find this wallpaper. He gives me the link to it. It is not available in the US. Not available in the US. It's like some European company and I couldn't find anywhere to order it. Yeah. Um, okay. I know a custom wallpaper place that can create any pattern. Ooh. Okay. Can do like a little copycat. Yeah, we're doing it. We're doing a show. Um, and she's very involved in it. So I'll I'll send you her. I'll get you connected. I will forward you the email chain I had with this with this person. I love <laughs> that you're pulling it from that scene. That's amazing. Uh anything else on your honorable mention? Those are the big ones. How about you? Um, left off. Uh not drafted kitchen nightmares yeah is restaurant it cake impossible. yep restaurant impossible is it cake um yeah. i mentioned kids baking championship I mentioned ace of cakes uh and chef's table chef's table left off which i kind of love the backstory on chef's table where creator david gelb considers it a follow-up to his documentary jiro dreams of sushi which uh Remind amazing. I mean, if you have not seen that documentary, it's incredible. And I love that a documentary could then spawn off into a docu-series, which does not happen all the time. Right. Um, quick fun fact for the old people that listen to this. I'm I'm reading um Easy Riders Raging Bulls right now about history of cinema. You're a Tish person, you'll appreciate this. And speaking of Scorsese, you may have already known this. I was today years old when I learned this. Alice does not live here anymore, the Martin Scorsese film. I did not know that is the I did not know that was the IP that spawned the 70s sitcom Alice about the women working oh. in the diner. Did you know that? No. Okay. I was just I was just talking to Eli Lair about this. He's a huge cinephile guy. He's read all the books. He didn't know this either. Martin Scorsese's Alice doesn't live here anymore. I'm watching this movie over the weekend. It's like a two-hour-long movie. And I'm at like the hour 10 mark when she starts working at a diner in, I want to, I think it's Tucson. And all of a sudden there is Mel like working at the diner in the movie. And I'm like, that's, oh, that's funny. They, 
they later cast him in a sitcom. And then there's one of the waitresses. And I'm like, wait a second. This is Mel's diner that later was the premise of a sitcom that went six seasons. Oh my based God. On a- was, was it Flo in there? Yes. Wow. I'm going to go crazy. back and watch that. Because that's like a whole, it's like a full on drama. It's like a dramedy. Like there's some, yeah. there's comedy in it, but it's not something you would think would translate to a. I kiss my grits. Yeah. You're not, yes. You're not thinking it would be something that would lead to a multicam yeah. one day. But yeah, yeah, a Martin Scorsese film, Martin Scorsese film led to a multicam that ran six seasons. So I kind of view this as like the Alice does not live here anymore. The Jiro Dreams of Sushi spawning Chef's Table on Netflix. You're reinforcing my West Coast assumption that you guys just eat, sleep, dream, breathe the business. I'll live up to it. I'll live up to it. If If that is a cross, I must bear. All right. (laughs) <laughs> um, do you want to read off the first slate in the history of Feed Network? Do you want to list your 10? Great British Baking Show or Great British Bake Off if you're in the UK. Hell's Kitchen, Beat Bobby Flay, $40 a day with Rachel Ray, Iron Chef America, Nailed It, Barefoot Contessa, Guys Grocery Games, Man V Food, Two Fat Ladies. How are you feeling? I just would want, I would just sit and watch the show, but I also yes. feel like there was so much left on the table that I think this is just, it's just good for the, the fact that it was so hard to distill it down to this just speaks volume to this whole food content subgenre. That's right. All right. Meal time. Yeah. From Julia to Ramsey and everything in between. I like your new marketing head. Thank you. Yeah. We brought him on the team. We appreciate him. Morale in the office has been so much better since he got here. (laughs) All right. The slate is Chopped, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown, Anthony Bourdain, No Reservations, Top Chef, Cake Boss, Worst Cooks in America, Gordon Ramsay's Master Chef, Julia Child's French Chef, and 30-Minute Meals with America's Sweetheart, Rachel Ray. I mean, mealtime is my favorite time of the day. <laughs> what would you want to be? One more time. Say that again. Mealtime is my favorite time of the day. <laughs> oh, great callback. Uh, thanks for doing this, Courtney White. This is so much fun. I know. Thanks for joining me. Um, I guess... If you ever want to do it in the home genre, we could do that as a follow-up. Ooh. Ooh. Maybe we could have a third person join that. Lauren and we can... from HGTV. Lauren Roosh, would that be the person to join? And then yeah. what should that be? Like a lifestyle TV show draft? Yeah, or let's just, do that. Or, or just straight HGTV? Let's let's do lifestyle. That's fun. We'll do like a mega draft and have like a third member join that. That could be fun. Yeah. Um, thanks okay. again for doing this. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. Great seeing you. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye, Jimmy.